You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewers fans, it's another week of Brewers Unfiltered. Sophia Minner, Adam McCalvey, Tim Diller joining you for another week of Brewers chatter. And we are in New York as the Brewers continue this road trip through Cleveland, New York, and then the final stop, Pittsburgh, before the final homestand of the first half. Uh, Tim is in Milwaukee, but Adam... You are at World Headquarters here in New York. I I am World MLB World Headquarters. They have um, these rooms, like work rooms or meeting rooms. You can re- you can rent. Like, well, no, you don't. I'm not paying for it. I I reserved a room, a little conference room, and I'm in the Chipper Jones room today. There's a Hank Aaron room. I thought that would be appropriate, but it's like a it's like a big room with a big conference table, and I thought it might be a bad look if I'm sitting in there by myself. Well, there's like you know, the Chipper Jones room is a little, little room. So probably I thought two I, doors, like a left handle and a right handle. It, that's a Switch great room. <laughs> yeah. It does not. That's a oh. great point. But there's baseball cards on the wall. We were looking at baseball cards for a Tim Dillard. <laughs> and uh, I saw Alex Rodriguez. I saw Prince Fielder. Oh, here's a Robin Yao. Nice. But uh, no Tim Dillard yet. I'll keep looking. There is a uh, coffee shop here for employee coffee shop within MLB doc or not uh, within MLB World headquarters. It's called Field of Beans. I thought Tim would like that. That is cool. Bring me back a cup, a a full cup of coffee. No, see if they have coasters. That would okay or a sticker. There's a shop. There's a big shop downstairs. Well, don't buy anything. Don't steal it either. <laughs> just just if it's there, grab. Yeah. I was going to say, you're trying to get me fired? No. No, we love merch. We fully expect you to bring us something from World Headquarters. I'll figure it out. <laughs> Done. I'll bring a pen. Maybe maybe there's a stock room. Yeah, bring some stablers. Um, yeah, last year, actually, I, I had a chance to visit World Headquarters when um, they've invited the broadcasters to come through and do t- tours of The Rock, the uh, replay center which is right mm-hmm. there in World Headquarters. And that's a pretty impressive operation, and I, it was pretty eye-opening. Uh, we did get to see Field of Beans. Didn't get a chance to grab a cup of coffee, but we walked through there on our tour. The I think the Replay Center is, like, right across. Like, if I leaned a certain... I think it's right across from... So I'll pop in there and see if we can get some answers for... I don't know. Let's pick a controversial call. I'll go and demand answers. Well, maybe it's behind you. We can see the back of the baseball cards. Maybe... Yeah, maybe the replay center has the front. I'll I'll investigate. I'll miss the game because I'm gonna get like poking around here. But it'll be a good story. Well, guys, we're uh we're in the middle of a pretty critical stretch for the Brewers as we're getting closer to the All Star break. It's currently a ten game road trip, right? They picked up the series win in Cleveland against the Guardians, won two out of three there, won Sunday in extra innings. Uh, won last night here at City Field, knocked off Justin Verlander. It was a two-to-one win. Joey Weimer hit a two-run bomb. Those were the only runs that the Brewers would score last night. Devin Williams had maybe the fastest inning of his career. I believe it was six pitches. Um, so things are so so far so good on this road trip. They're they're three and one, 
and they're continuing this stretch of 17 consecutive games, which is their longest stretch here of the first half heading into the All-Star break. So just kind of we're heading into this halfway point. The team is 41 and 37. Um, They jumped back ahead of the Reds um, after the Reds have finally cooled off from their 12-game winning streak. So they're four games up or four games over 500, and it's a half-game lead right now, and we're halfway. So I guess what do you guys think of where we're at right now? Well, just last night, you know, if we take that that series opener in New York, it was like that's how the Brewers thought they'd win a bunch of games. Um, Pitching, I don't know if it was like great defense. It was the the defenders were like in the exact right spots at about six critical moments in, in Monday's game. And you get one swing from Joey Weimer um, that wins you a baseball game because you pitched really well. And I think uh, after the game yesterday, Craig Council kind of gave a special shout-out to Hobie Milner, who got four outs in, like, the right spot of the lineup that set everything else up. And that's really where that game really broke in the right direction for the Brewers um, were those Hobie Milner outs. So it's good to see him involved because we were talking, what, on a recent podcast where he had been – not very involved at all because it was a stretch where they were playing all these right-handed heavy opponents and there just weren't the spots to get Hobie Milner into those games. So everybody has a chance to impact uh, a baseball game and yesterday was Hobie Milner kind of the the unsung hero. Well, you talked about the Brewers expecting one-run ball games a lot or close ball games. They're 13-4 and four this season in one-run games. That's second in all of baseball. I think behind the Marlins, right? They have like 19, something ridiculous in one-run games. Um, but yes, that's what this team's built for is being able to, you know, come out ahead in, in one-run ball games. And, uh, you know, they put up so many good at-bats against Verlander and still couldn't squeak a run across. I mean, if I had to sum up the first half, I feel like that's what it is. They can get people on base against anybody. Uh, it's just push them across home plate has been the hard part. So um, they're gonna ha- they're gonna play game number seventy nine with Julio Tehran tonight, and you know hopefully they can uh, you know win that one. But if they lose the next four, they're still they're gonna be five hundred in the first half, right? Be forty one and forty one. So either way, in the NL Central, <laughs> who knows? They may still be in first place, but they're playing really good baseball right now. They've won three of four, but I think the road trip is is gonna be a precursor to see what this team does. Uh, when it comes to like trades, you know, buying and selling um, when it comes to the trade deadline. Yeah, overall, they've won seven of their last 10. They had a pretty good homestand, three and one so far on the road trip. And and Craig Council was asked about the first half overall last night. And I thought his, his answer was was pretty interesting. And he described it as messy. Um, and I don't think he meant that necessarily negatively. I think it was just pretty honest about you know, and you look across the league, and this was, this was not just specifically about the Brewers. He's like, there are very few teams in the league that have the seasons that they want or the seasons that they were expected to have. Um, for example, you can look across the way and look at the New York Mets um, and their position and their record. They're having a really hard month of June right now. So he said, you know, seasons are are messy, and that's been true for the Brewers. There's been some ups. There's been some downs. There's been adversity with injuries. Uh, that have complicated the picture for them at times and you feel like they're turning a corner with that but kind of Adam you were there last night I thought you know he and he was asked specifically it too like to look at comparing the Brewers and the Mets and he said well I'd rather be in our position we have more wins than they do and we're in a great position to have the kind of second half that they want to have. 
Yeah, it's like that. It was an example of how I think the manager of the ball club and maybe some of the fans of the ball club look at things in a different through a different lens. Because for Craig Council's lens, it's all about putting yourself in position as a team to be there at the end, to be one of the teams fighting for postseason position at the end. And for I think the fan of your team, you want seventy nine and zero at this point of the season. And uh, I think. Sophia, you summed up his point well. It's that no matter what team you are, unless you are the, you know, 2001 Mariners, is that a deep cut where you Tampa win 100? Rays, Tampa Bay Rays this year. Well, but look, I think even if you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, they've had a stretch since that incredible start where they've had difficulties. And they've faced, um, I think they're actually kind of an example of what Council said because they've lost. Uh, Springs, their pitcher, they've lost, you know, they had Tyler Glasnow down for a long stretch. So every team, Council's point was that, you know, this is not, you don't just go opening, win opening day and then keep winning all year long. You go through these ups and downs. And, and I think his point often is like, put yourself in position to have a meaningful second half. Then you put yourself in position to have a meaningful September. And each step of the way, you kind of just give yourself a chance. And so that that's how he viewed this first half so far. Well, it's easy to get you know too far out in the future, looking at okay, well, how are they going to win? You know, in the playoffs and all this kind of stuff. All you got to do is get in. All you got to do is just win your division. That's it. That's your one goal, honestly. Uh, and then anything can happen from there. So yeah, all you got to do is be the best team in the NL Central, and right now they are. Well, speaking of NL Central, we're going to be seeing a lot of them coming up here. Um, after the Brewers wrap up this four-game series in New York, it's going to be three games in Pittsburgh for the first time this season, and then they'll return home, and it's the all-NL Central homestand heading into the break. We've talked about this, guys, 10 games, Pirates, Cubs, and then Reds, and I think that Red series is going to be really interesting, getting our first look at Ellie De La Cruz, who was called up by the Reds just one day after the team left Cincinnati and won three out of four against the Reds, so there's a pretty big opportunity here for the team to separate themselves in the division. And for as much as there's been up and down and messiness, this is a place that they've really done well. They've gone 11 and five against the division opponents. Oh, I was just going to say one of us should look that up and look, you had it right at your fingertips, Sophia. That's why you are the best. They, they have done a good, a uh, good job in those games. And I, I, it keeps feeling weird that we're this far into a year and the team hasn't been to say Pittsburgh um, which is normally a place that we'd have all been by now. And I guess I'm still having a hard time getting used to that, where the in-division games are just, they're only a little bit rare, but they feel so significantly rare. And I think it makes them really important um, games. You know, Tim, you're right. You you win the division. That's that's the goal for every club going into the year in these, that you have fewer in-division games. It's fewer chances to control your own destiny in those games, and it makes it a an important stretch for the Brewers. And and as Sophia, you said at the top, it's the stretch where you don't have going into the break. You don't have any days off now. So performances like yesterday where they stretch out a, a Hobie Milner, say to cover multiple innings, or you get a little extra from Colin Ray. He got an out in the seventh inning of a start for the first time since 2016. That's a big deal because of what it, Sophia, you asked counsel about this after the game last night, the way that it feeds into the next day and the rest of the series. Well, I, I would say just talking about like the first half, I just want to throw out there, 
with the schedule where everybody plays everybody, to your point, talking about not playing the NL Central that much, uh, it feels really fast. Like, I feel like because you're not playing the same team over and over and over again, it feels fast. Like, the the first half kind of flew by because you're going to different locations playing different teams. And um, it, for me, it just seems like it's been way quicker than, hey, played the played the Reds 18 times. You know, played the Pirates 20, 50 times, whatever. I, I think that's been a good result of everybody playing everybody, honestly. Um, another part, you, you mentioned the length that they got from Colin Ray last night. He was terrific. The six and a third, just the one run allowed. Um, and as we're looking ahead to kind of how this Mets series is going to line up, it'll be Julio Tehran followed by Wade Miley. And then Adrian Hauser is going to get another start here in the rotation. He's made two relief appearances now. Again, part of this is just going to the six man rotation because of this stretch. And, uh, we saw Hauser pitch an inning Friday in Cleveland against the Guardians. But before that, he gave them really good length. It was four innings for him uh, back when Corbin Burns had a short start against the Diamondbacks. And so they don't feel like they're necessarily giving up anything with length. But I think they're taking the long view with this of giving their starters a break at a really critical time. Again, we're like halfway through here. Um, and and Hauser has, has pitched well. So I think... You know, what do you guys think about kind of how they're navigating this stretch and and the opportunity that Hauser has, whether it's one or two starts here before the break? I mean, I think it's a, a good move. I mean, the Brewers have been tested with depth. And and Hauser, I mean, he is he's still the last guy for the Brewers to throw a nine inning complete game uh shutout, I think. I mean, going back a couple years, it just shows what he can do with the ball. We saw what Colin Ray did against the Mets it could be a really good matchup just pitching the ball down in the zone and just watching the Mets hit the ball on the ground and weak pop-ups and I don't know I love Adrian Hauser when it comes to starting I think and I've seen what he's done in the bullpen which is great but I think he's a major league starter but for whatever reason when someone's on the bubble he's the guy that gets pushed to the bullpen uh, because he does so well so hopefully you know he can come out and give some quality innings because he can he can mow through a lineup uh, with minimal pitch count and be efficient uh, when he's on. And and we've seen that already this year. So I don't know. I, I think it was expected. You want everyone fresh going into the second half. So if you got to go to a six-man rotation, Hauser's the, the the easy move to make. Well, game one, <clears throat> game one of the Mets series showed you that's an aggressive team. So whoever is pitching better be – better locate pitch one of the sequence because um, – the Mets came swinging against Colin Ray, and he, you know, handled it beautifully. And that's how he got what mid thirty pitch count uh, through three, and was just and got out deep into the game. The as far as the sixth starter, the the Brewers will choose a rest every time. Craig Council and Chris Hook and Matt Arnold will always take that rest, and it is you know again I I always find these things kind of differently the way maybe a a fan looks at following the game and maybe even us in the press box and camera well follow the the team versus how they think about it inside that dugout because they do take that long view and they they feel that if they can effectively pitch that sixth guy and give everybody else that extra day that there is a trade-off a positive trade-off in the end where you get the best of your players when it matters most so 
Um, look, that's how they did it going back a couple of years. And I think uh, I've probably said this before. You can have like a worthy debate about whether that worked or worked against them in, in past seasons. I'm thinking 2021 is a great example where they prioritized rest for everybody. And then they came uh, and faced a, a Braves team in the postseason that that wasn't allowing any hits and the Brewers didn't get any hits. So, you know, I think there's a there's a debate to have there about the right and wrong of that. But I, this is like the choice they're going to make every time, the rest. So if you can have Adrian Hauser doing it. And look, the other thing I I think is this is what Adrian Hauser wants to do. So anytime he gets the ball as a starter, you know he's throwing everything into it because that's the role he wants to play. And as he looks ahead into his future of his career, this is his opportunity to kind of cement that that's the role he belongs in. Yeah, and I think, you know, Craig said it is it is a balance, right? Because you they they do believe strongly in in giving the rest and that the starters benefit from that rest and you'd go to a six-man rotation for the starters, but you're also sacrificing a little bit in your bullpen. So that's why yeah. length is critical. That's why what Colin Ray did last night is so important. Um and it's just this is just a this is a hard stretch for the starting rotation when you've got your longest stretch of the season. Corbin Burns is already at 16 starts. Freddie Peralta's at 15 starts, Colin Ray, 14, and then Wade Miley just started his 10th game uh, in Cleveland. So they're all getting to that mark, right, Tim, you know, um, of no one feels their best anymore at this point in the season. And so if you can give these guys an extra day, you hope that this sets them up for really productive August and Septembers. Um, And Brandon Woodruff coming back, which we will talk about coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're back here on Brewers Unfiltered. Sophia, Adam, and Tim talking about the Brewers. And just as we're getting closer to the All-Star break, uh, some of the things going on with the team. And while we were in Cleveland, guys, a pretty big step forward for Brandon Woodruff. I know fans have been waiting for more progress, waiting for a more clear timeline of when Brandon Woodruff will be back on the mound for the crew. And this felt like the biggest step for him so far. I mean, he's only pitched in two games this season. You have to go back to April 7th his last start against the Cardinals, and it's been that right shoulder injury for him, the subscap muscle for him since then. But Saturday, he threw a bullpen for the first time in Cleveland, 20-plus pitches for him, all fastballs. And I think when we spoke to him in Cleveland, you could feel sort of the relief from him of how that bullpen went. Um, he has been throwing his other pitches in his throwing program on, on flat ground and whatnot. He will start mixing in the off-speed stuff now with the fastballs. Um, he is scheduled to throw a second bullpen here in New York, so we'll see how that goes. Um, no setbacks in between. Feels like it's forward progress for Woody. So, Tim, you know, um, 
how tricky this has been for Brandon Woodruff the first time as a pitcher he's dealing with an arm injury kind of what do you think of the neck just for him to get on the mound after so long and maybe how that can help him with the rest of the timeline well I think you could you're right when when you're interviewing him he you could tell that he was just excited and then you have to see how do you bounce back. So that's why he had a couple of days afterwards. And then, of course, they're monitoring him to see how he bounces back and if he throws a bullpen today. But usually it's kind of going back to spring training. you got to build everything back up. He'll probably mix in change up first. Uh, and then the next time out, be mixing in slider curveball. Uh, and then you start thinking, what is it, live BP? And then you go on rehab assignment. Um, these are all good signs for Brandon Woodruff because it, just the fact that you can – we talked about the rest and what they love to do to give guys rest. They do the same thing with injuries. They want to make sure you are completely healthy when you come back and not rush you. And the reason they're doing that, if you go back to last year, June 28th, when he got off the IL last year, he was just an absolute Clydesdale. I mean, he just ran. He took the ball and ran with it. And they, that's what they want down the stretch. So when they get him back, they want him fully healthy. Because uh, when he came back, he had 18 starts, 12 quality starts. His ERA was a, a sub 2-5, uh, struck out the world, 137 strikeouts in 109 innings. They're not just getting back some guy. They're getting back Brandon Woodruff. And and I, I think that's going to be a huge impact going into the second half. That's going to be like we always say it, oh, they made a big trade by getting a guy off the IL. But Brandon Woodruff's that kind of player. He His stuff is that good. Um, and just watching everybody – the entire entourage that watched him throw that bullpen. Did you see the clips? I got to watch it. I was on the live feed at the studio here in uh, Brookfield, Wisconsin, and seeing every there's probably 20 people there watching him. There was brass from from catchers to uh, players, and it was great to see Wade Miley with his phone. He had been filming Woodruff, and now they're looking at stuff. I mean, everyone is in on this, and it just shows the camaraderie and excitement uh, around having this player back on the mound for the Brewers. Well, Woody said yesterday as he was walking in from just playing catch on on Monday that by the end of this New York series, they're going to have a really good feel for the timeline because they're at the point now where, Tim, you just uh, said, you know, there's, he, he will spin something in this second bullpen session. So, it, you know, he's kind of advancing beyond just throwing fastballs and, the next step after that could be like a multi-inning type of situation, which is always another big kind of milestone for a pitcher coming back. And then you mix in some hitters. So I think you start to see like uh, some pitching in a game, in a minor league game, on the horizon at least, if he clears this next hurdle here in New York. And his feeling was that by the time they get to Pittsburgh uh, to close out the first half, that they'll have a really good feel for the timeline. And I think that just mentally is a big deal for a player. Like, you want to have that light at the end of the tunnel. You want to have that date circled on the calendar. And, yes, it all depends on how you feel, and things can go faster or slower depending on just how your arm and body react. But I, I just think that he needs that right now. This has been a really long time, and, and you guys know him. I think fans know enough about him, too, that, like, certain players you can just tell, like, man, an, an IL stint would great on that guy. That's Brandon Woodruff. Like, an IL stint is killing him. So I think – I think it's um, it's just he, he he looks a little lighter, and I think that's because he can sort of see this uh, this this end game. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part for a player when they're on the IL is like 
there is a certain amount of like disconnect, even when he's been with the team every day since the injury. Um, that's been important to him. He wants to be around. He wants to continue rehabbing with the team. He'll be with the team as long as he can. But I think it's just when you can't contribute and when you feel like you can't do your job, you just automatically feel a little disconnected from the rest of the group. So I think um, we could we can only hope for more, right, more positive steps forward for, for Woody, uh, no setbacks. But, yeah, I think we're starting to see, like, a clearer picture and a clearer timeline, and that is great news uh, for everybody because getting Brandon Woodruff back is just – monumental but that's uh you know the pitching staff has done a great job you know with considering how long of an absence he's had um you know I think a, an arm that we've talked about a lot lately is Elvis Piguero picked up the save in the extra inning game Sunday in Cleveland um Devin Williams had pitched the ninth there and uh and Elvis Piguero came in in a big spot facing Jose Ramirez right off the top right with the the runner on second base in the 10th Josh Naylor right after that so he was getting in the middle of the order there in Cleveland he's now pitched in three straight games because he pitched last night here in New York as well so um just the body of work for Elvis 26 games for him the one save and he's done a great job with the command 26 strikeouts to just 11 walks. He's really turned into a valuable piece here in the bullpen. Yeah, they're like searching, you know, in certain years where the Brewers have had a good bullpen, they've had a really clear formula at the end of games where it's been like, I mean, geez, you can go way back to like Axford, K-Rod. I'm, I'm getting my trios mixed up. I'm getting my years mixed up. But, but like where you can like map out seven, eight, nine, you know who's coming. Um, this year has not been that kind of year for the Brewers, where maybe it was going to be Matt Bush coming into the season. It's not been Matt Bush. He's he's out back and has a chance to work pitch back into a prominent role. But they've had to kind of mix and match a little bit more ahead of Devin Williams. And it makes, you know, right now it looks like they're kind of riding Elvis Peguero a little bit in some big spots. And every time he goes out there, and Sophia, you described the, the big situation, that's a huge confidence boost for a pitcher who's getting some of these reps in these you know, do or die situations for the first time. And I thought pitching in three straight is is a milestone. And Craig Council said, I mean, it it workload wise, it worked out that there was a, a light appearance at the start of that. And then um last night was a Monday night was a shorter appearance as well. So it it just it's not like he was taxed to do that. But I still think like just he's now done that. He's checked that box as a major league reliever. And if you're going to be a seventh, eighth inning high leverage guy, that's the sort of thing you need to do. You need to go three in a row. You need to go four or five, five or seven. And now he's checked one of those boxes. I just, the bullpen in general has, has been doing fantastic lately. Last 11 games, I think they've only had like three walks. ERA's uh, down in the low twos. And the reason is because guys have been able to succeed in the big moments. And Elvis Peguero has just been, little by little, just creeping up the ladder. And listen, you don't get to these high leverage situations just because you have a, you know, whatever your last name is, or here's the contract or whatever. You got to pitch yourself into these situations. I think about Solomon Torres back in 2008. Like, did you think he was going to be the guy closing out ball games? No. You pitch yourself into these roles. And and, and Peguero has done that at, at every turn. Uh, and he's done it very easily too. It seems like with his fastball and slider, he's throwing sinker slider, uh, 97 miles an hour at times with incredible movement. 
So for him, the reason the walks are down is because he's just, here, here hit it. I want you to hit it. I'm not trying to strike you out. I will strike you out, uh, but I want you to hit it. That stuff plays in the bullpen. A lot of times when guys are, you know, I have to strike somebody out, you know, because it's the eighth inning or the ninth inning, uh, for him to just relax and throw his stuff has been incredible to watch. One of five guys in the bullpen that have a save this season, uh, but his stuff is is just elite, and he's able to replicate it. He hasn't had a game where he just felt like he couldn't have, you know, didn't have it um, with his stuff. I feel like his stuff can play through the entire year. I remember that back in spring training, one of the little newsletters or something I did, I asked the catchers, who's the nastiest guy you caught this spring? And, you know, I got a lot of Corbin Burns, which probably was not surprising, the Burns cutter. Um, but the most common answer was Elvis Peguero. The the Elvis Peguero sinker as just a nasty, nasty pitch. And um, it's that extension, 89th percentile and extension. So it gets right on the hitter and it's hard and it moves. It's a really tough pitch to handle, like hitting a bowling ball. Yeah, but it's got two feet of vertical drop, and the rims keep spinning every time I stop. No, it it's that's where the catchers lose their thumbs. That's why they wear thumb guards, for that kind of sinker. And if you don't, then you'll have a broken thumb. Uh, it, that That's what makes it so difficult because it breaks so much, and hitters have to make a decision. Is this going to be in the zone or not? And then what we've seen already this season is they make that decision and realize they made the wrong one to swing. I like the the Wade. We were talking about the Wade Miley sinker yesterday. I loved that story that came out of Cleveland, by the way, about Wade Miley picking up a sinker grip from Paul Skeens, the LSU pitcher. Some, you know, where they, Sophia does this in spring where you get the guys to show their grip. Who knew that that was going to like lead to a major league pitcher making an adjustment? I thought that was like really cool. A veteran guy been around the league forever, and he's picking up something from a college World Series game and then takes it into a major league game and has success with it. So he says he's going to keep going with it. I, I thought that was like a really cool little anecdote coming out of Cleveland. And I also just love it because I feel like that is just like a peak baseball story. You know, like totally. Wade Miley, who has pitched in hundreds of games, who is as veteran, 13 years in the big leagues, right? Over 100 wins. I mean, it's like, go on, has thrown a no-hitter, right? Pitching in the stadium where he threw the no-hitter. And pitching in the stadium where he threw the no-hitter. Uh, not with an incredible Hulk tattoo this time, unfortunately. But um, I thought that the whole interaction of how that story came out was so great because what you didn't see is that Devin Williams is off to the side. And, well, first of all, Wade was... Um, you know, he was kind of wearing it from his teammates for having to leave the game uh, because he was cramping up that night. It was very kind of hot, humid night. So, and he he was just rolling, right? He was so efficient, 67 pitches through six. So he was kind of wearing it from his teammates a little bit for that. And then also the fact that he made it on Pitching Ninja, which we know these guys are always tracking um, of like, the nastiest pitches, sequences. It's like, you know, the ultimate compliment for a pitcher to make it on Pitching Ninja. Well, Wade Sinker uh, made it on Pitching Ninja. And so Devin Williams was sort of chirping at him about that, about, well, aren't you going to talk about, you know, making it on Pitching Ninja? And, you know, Wade doesn't exactly have, like, you know, lights out stuff anymore with, like, crazy velo. So, uh and I thought he went out of his way to say, you know, I have to credit here, you know, Paul Skeens and and just the video that I was watching. He said, I've tried my whole life to find a grip that works for me. Saw this one, thought it was interesting, 
played around with it for like three days basically after his bullpen and and it worked so yeah just uh it's just one of those classic baseball stories yeah you don't hear that and yeah Aaron Rodgers doesn't like pick up a grip from watching whatever the college national title game I I think you can go deeper with that just saying here's a guy that has been around for so long but willing to try and get better not getting stuck, throwing the same pitches, the same percentage usage, and just saying, this is what I do. But willing to think outside the box and say, I can add something to the repertoire and I can use it sparingly in moments where I need it. Well, it's like the Julio Tehran. It's the Julio Tehran story too. And, And Tyler Kepner from the New York Times wrote a great piece that I think is in the papers outside this building, uh, today. Um, and it, it's just a great story about adapt, you know, adapt or die, and that's what uh, some of these guys have to do, and the willingness to do it. Sometimes players get stubborn, but I think the stories of guys who can adapt, I think, are really a really cool part of baseball. They are. It, I, I wrote this down last night. I don't know where it came from, but velocity covers a multitude of mistakes. If you have velocity, you have a chance to make mistakes. Well, if you're if you're chunking ninety miles an hour up there to a major league hitter. You better know what you're doing, and you better know where the ball's going. And that's what you're starting to see. You're starting to see these veterans having a lot of success because they just, they're pitching. They're not just throwing and hoping. No, they're pitching. And and it's, it's to me, that's what I love to watch. Julio Tehran's been amazing. Wade Miley, outstanding. These guys are going out there and pitching and showing that this still matters in this game. It's not just about velocity. Well, how's this for a for a pivot, guys? From the uh, from the veteran of Wade Miley to the future of the Brewers organization, and uh, last night, as uh, just, kind of just before the game got started, actually in New York, the announcement of the rosters for the Futures game, and the Brewers are going to be sending three players to the Futures game in Seattle that'll be played. Saturday, July eighth, leading into All Star Weekend, and so they will be sending Jackson Churio. The right-hander, Jacob Mizorowski, who we've talked about recently promoted to the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, and then catcher in double-A Biloxi, Jefferson Kiro. And this is this is a big deal for players to be selected to the Futures game. Um, this is the second straight year that the Brewers are sending three players. Um, only the Boston Red Sox are sending as many players. Uh, so that's that's a great reflection for the Brewers and just their player development system. Um and an interesting note, this is how quickly things can happen. Joey Weimer played in the Futures game last year. And on the night that they announced the rosters for this year's Futures game, um, Joey Weimer hits a two-run bomb to help the Brewers win a game. So that's how quickly things can happen for prospects. Uh, but just kind of your your take on on Churio and Mizorowski and Kiro and getting this opportunity to play in Seattle. Well, it's a um, it's a great harbinger of making it to the majors, number one, because the percentage of futures game players who make it is very, very high. Um, and uh, another thing that I know stood out to the Brewers um, player development department is that there are two players. Here's an early stat of the day, because I'll come up with a different one later. Two, only two players on the futures game rosters are from Venezuela. And they're both Brewers, Jackson Churio and Jefferson Caro. And I know that means so much to the Brewers scouts down there because of how, how much pride they take in their work. And I'm telling you, as much as those guys love Jackson Churio, 
Um, they love capital L Jefferson Jefferson Carroll um, and think that his ceiling is so high and maybe he's flying under the radar a little bit because Churio has gotten such hype. He's now number three on MLB Pipeline. He was number one for like five days and then they rejiggered the list and they put him at number three. So, you know, he's gotten a lot of attention and rightfully so really impressive what he's doing. But you think of Carroll, 20 years old, catching at the AA level, which uh, carries a lot of responsibility, and then hitting while he's doing that. So they're incredibly high on him um, and incredibly proud, I think, that their scouting work in Venezuela has paid off in this way. Well, I last night during the game, uh, we got we all got an email from Andrew Grumman talking about the announcement for these three players. And then immediately, probably seconds after that, Christian Correa, who is – uh, the first base coach in uh, uh, with Cairo uh, texted me and, and was just, you know, bragging about it. Like, look at our guy. You know, they they know what they have uh, in this catcher. They know what they have. They he is he is they are comparing him to Salvador Perez. Like and the Brewers need a guy behind the dish that they can slap a I mean, a franchise type player, a BJ Serhoff, a Jonathan Lucroy. Like they need someone back there. They always have to go and get somebody. And now you, they feel like they have a guy that um, is just is is going to be their guy, and I think they know it too. He has an elite arm. Um, he competes. They, one thing that I've always heard every time his name is brought up is talking about his competitiveness, and it's not always just competing like oh when the game starts. It's working with your pitcher and knowing what they're trying to do on the mound, and then reading hitter swings uh, throughout the game. And and to me, that's just super impressive. And doing it at Double A at 20 years old, and remember. We've talked about it before. They have that tacky baseball as well. Uh, I'm sure that has its own challenges, but you got to think he's going to be in AAA before the season's over and maybe work with some of the, the older pitchers there will probably help him. But uh, to me, to me, that's that's a big one. Having, having Jefferson Cairo uh, go into the Futures game, I, there's no reason to think that we won't see him just like Joey Weimer in the big leagues next year. Yeah, it's and when I talk to... Uh... Matt Arnold last night just to get a, a comment from him and you know he said it's just it it's so many people that are involved on the player development side to you know from the scouting side to uh, the minor leagues to player development to sports science I mean it's like so many people are involved in in like grooming and developing these players so it's it's a it's a great kind of reflection and you know credit to them of what they've done to help these players continue to advance, get opportunities like this. So it's, it's uh, they're, they're certainly very proud of, of these players to get this opportunity. And you, and like, like Adam said, it's, it's a great indicator of, of hopefully future success as well. So um, Adam, I don't know if you blew your stat of the week, but no, we can, I got but we can, Oh, I got a good one. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's, let's dive into stat of the week and wrap it up. My stat of the week is, 30 because today is the 30th anniversary of one of the if not the most important dates in the history of the Brewers franchise can you guess what it is Tim Dillard it's right up your alley I'm I got no clue I don't <laughs> June 27th 1993 I didn't even know today was June 27th that's where I'm at <laughs> that is the day that the um, the dot matrix sausage race at County Stadium turned into the actual sausage race down the foul line, 
where the left field door opened and out came the incredible costumed sausages. And it's so funny because there's a video, the Brewers have shared the video of it in past years. And I think it's Jack Morris on the mound. If the, if it's the sixth inning like it is now, it's Jack Morris on the mound and Pat Borders behind the plate. And these bungling sausages come running down the third baseline and touch home. Like as they're trying to warm up in the game. And as I understand it, nobody from either team knew that that was happening. <laughs> So I can't imagine knowing Jack Morris a little bit because he uh, worked with MLB and MLB.com for a while. I don't think he was particularly happy about that in the moment, um, but it was a, uh, a momentous day. And think about all the um, the good and bad that has come from that. The good meaning the president's race in Washington is fantastic. I love the legends race in D.C. And the bad, the very worst, is the tooth trot in Denver, which was truly the worst thing that's ever happened in major league baseball and it's it's unfortunately it's it's now down the drain in 2021 they stopped the tooth trot but it was awful um so mostly good though and this happy birthday to the sausages the only uh processed meat that gets better with age <laughs> that's pretty good that's a pretty good stat what about what, what was the thing in cleveland what was that race the hot is it a hot it's, dog? It's race? a hot dog race. It's all the condiments for hot dogs. Condiments, yeah. That looked really bad. It wasn't great. No, it was pretty bad. Yeah, it was a low blow. Jeff and Vinny for just continually making fun of that. <laughs> uh, still not as bad as the tooth trot. We used to watch the tooth trot. It didn't make any sense either. It was three. Uh, you know, it was a it was a toothbrush, floss, and toothpaste <laughs> that raced against a tooth. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah, we're coming for you, tooth. Oh. Is Mr. Floss. Yeah, that's tough. All right, what are we doing instead of the week? All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wrote it down somewhere. Um, okay, stat of the week. This is what I have. This is basically the road trip. Um, on the road trip, Brewers have 28 hits. But my number is 21. That's going to be my stat. 21 of the 28 hits have come against a fastball. Not really sure what that means other than it, it, I don't think it's coincidence. I think this team is focused on not missing a fastball right now. I think they're picking pitches to hit, and they're sitting on a fastball the first few pitches. Uh, but I also have a backup stat, and it's also walks. <laughs> They've had 15 walks in these four games on the road trip, but here's my other stat, 10. 10 of those walks have come with two outs. Again, I don't know what this means, but it's enough built up that there's something there. They are being aggressive early, and then they're just letting pitchers walk them. That's a great sign. That's a great sign because it pigeonholes pitchers into having to throw a lot of their off-speed stuff, um, and and that can that can be detrimental to a starter later on in the ballgame. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. It's not a sausage stat, you know, or anything, but... Well, you always come up with, like, a good, relevant stat, and mine is always something dumb. Mine is, like, you know... One, then have you ran the sausage race, Tim? I feel like you'd be good. Yeah, I won his chorizo back in, uh, I think, 2018. Yeah. That's a, well, that's a huge surprise that you filmed it. Well, I had my backup phone, like, in the little window where you could see, um, and you can't hear anything on the field. Maybe you can now with the new speakers, but you couldn't hear anything on the field, so we're just kind of standing there, and then everyone started running. So I got a late jump, uh, but (laughs) but I made up for it with my foot speed. Um, and my, my oldest son, uh, he, his, his favorite 
uh, sausage was a chorizo. So he wanted me to run this chorizo. So that and we all know it's more cloth. You know, it's bigger. It's got that sombrero, so it's tougher to run in. But yes, I won. I leaned forward, probably blew something in my spine, but I did win. <laughs> anyway, Three, the number of discs that slipped in Tim Billard's spine. That's the single greatest thing I've ever done, though. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Sophia, have you have you sausage raised? I've. We were actually just talking about this on the homestand. I've never done the sausage race, and I actually think this is where Tim has the advantage. Well, both of you actually. You've got the long limbs. You guys are like perfectly yeah. made to do the sausage race. I was telling someone, I think I need to wear like the mini sausage costume because weenie. I legitimately do not think I could wear the full size. <laughs> I, I think I would fall over. I legitimately think I cannot wear the full size one. So if they let me cheat and wear the mini one, um, I I could consider it. I would also choose Teresa. I think his costume is the most fun. Um, so Tim, good choice there. And yeah, I, I I've never done it. So um, my stat is not nearly. I mean, first of all, Tim threw out like five different stats. I, I think. Sorry. Adam threw out the most fun one. Adam threw out like a history lesson with a fun stat. Tim threw out like five stats. Um, I've got one for you. Since we talked about Elvis Piguero and his first career save, seven is the number of saves that he had in the minor leagues in 121 minor league games. And he just picked up his first one Sunday in his 41st major league game. So whatever that means, I don't know. But... (laughs) Mm-hmm. Now you sound like my stat. You just throw it out there, and there's, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason, but this it's fun. It's yeah. fun to see this kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know, hopefully Elvis. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there will be situations where Elvis will be asked to do the same and, and get a save on a day that Devin Williams isn't available or extra innings, like we saw Sunday in Cleveland. So yeah, that's what uh, giving Elvis Peguero a little love for the career milestone. The day of an Elvis Peguero, Abner Uribe back of the bullpen could be like pretty fun. And if a basketball game breaks out, the Brewers will be in great shape. Especially if Jacob Mizorowski comes up. I mean, these guys are like 6'6". Six, six. Well, even Devin's pretty tall. Yeah, they'd have a great basket. Yeah, yeah. yeah some length out we'd there. Have a, we'd have a good lineup. But isn't the, the, Pete Strzelecki is the one who thinks he could have played in the NBA? Pete Strzelecki is convinced that he should be, like, the point guard for the Miami Heat. Yeah. We should, th- yeah. We, we He would be a good podcast guest to ask about that. He would, he would tell you. Yeah. That, that we'll, uh, we'll save that probably for the second half. A Pete, a Pete Strzelecki conversation about baseball and basketball and everything else. They'll be fun. Uh, well, guys, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here for Brewers Unfiltered. Another another good week here for us on uh, on Brewers Unfiltered. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope you'll continue to tune in. You can follow us on all of our social channels, and then also make sure you're following the Brewers at Brewers on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. So, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. 